Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another episode of this podcast where we discuss, you know, little true crime. You know, that we, we usually try to facilitate somehow and turn the conversation into something that has to do with healthcare, nursing issues, that sort of thing. That's what we do here. But before we get into those stories, I want to welcome back our honorary Good Nurse, Bad Nurse co-hosts, Tom and Ben from the Will Continue to Monitor podcast. Welcome back, guys. How you doing, ma'am? Hey, it's good to be here again. Of course, always wonderful to have you guys. If you haven't yet, please go and subscribe to their podcast and give it a listen. It's one of my favorite podcasts. It is so incredibly fascinating. If you guys like this podcast, I promise you you're going to love this. I've talked to a couple of listeners who've reached out to me and told me that they actually are listening to you guys because they heard about it on, on this show. So I'm like, oh, good. And they love well, you. Thank oh, you. I just appreciate you. that. So, That's very sweet of you. One of our listeners reached out to me and I was like, you would be a perfect person to just come on the show. So she came on the show as a, as a guest host. And I talk about you guys all the time. So I'm like, I, I mentioned you and she goes, oh, yeah, that's the Will Continue to Monitor. I listened to them. I started listening to them after hearing them on your show. So I'm like, yes, of course you did. They're awesome. <laughs> well, that, that's only fitting because really you were there at the creation of Will Continue to Monitor when she called me and told me I was an idiot if I didn't do it. So oh, I thought that so was, good. yes, that was a very rainy night leaving Nashville. Oh my God, that sounds like a mm-hmm. country song. Huh. Ooh, Anyways, write yeah, that down. Exactly. Write that down, yeah. write somebody, that down. somebody make that a song. There you go. <laughs> but no, always happy to be here. Having a great time and love telling the good nurse, bad nurse stories. Yeah, absolutely. It's always, always interesting finds that you have. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. Are you looking to take your career to the next level? Consider enrolling in the Doctor of Nursing Practice Program at UC Irvine. The program offers a post-master's track for MSN-prepared nurses and a family nurse practitioner track for those with at least a BSN. Their program, of course, is fully accredited, and their graduates are highly sought after by healthcare organizations across the country. If you're ready to take the next step in your nursing career, I encourage you to explore UCI Irvine's DNP program today. Visit nursing.uci.edu to learn more, and of course, we'll put a link on our website and you can access it at goodnursebadnurse.com. This story is from back in 1988. So we're going to go back a few decades. And this nurse was named Jean Arias. She was a nursing director at a facility that provided medical care for critically ill children. She was convicted of attempted first degree murder and of solicitation to commit murder. And this was after she had allegedly conspired to kill a severely disabled infant. It all starts out when I, when I first uh, saw this story, I was like, oh, this is just going to be another story of some horrible person for some reason decides to go into nursing and then start taking care of sick people, children, no less, and then decide to, that they, you know, want to kill them. And I've done those horrible stories, unfortunately, but that is not this case. That is not one of these, one of these stories. And, and this definitely takes some strange turns and kind of will I think it's going to leave you questioning some things what do you guys think no that's I think the conclusion reading the notes that I kind of came to that it seems real black and white at first but then at the end you kind of question some of the stuff that happened 
So in an interview on Inside Edition, the baby's grandmother had talked about this baby, the condition that it was born in. It had brittle bone disease. Now, I really intended to look this up because I know there's an actual medical term and I I'm a nurse and usually pride myself on like trying to educate myself. And here I am sitting here, a complete idiot. I know this is a medical term. What is so it, guys? Help me out. imperfecta. And I've had a couple of patients that I've taken care of through my nursing career with this. And yeah, it's very, very rare, but even little falls, like a little trip and fall that most kids would be fine, could fracture a femur, could fracture any other kind of bones. I mean, the brittle bone disease is a very good description of it. Well, that wasn't the only uh, thing that was wrong with this baby. It also had, she had severe brain damage. She had very limited vision, if any at all, and also very, it was very hearing impaired. And this is according to her grandmother. She was also unable to move the bottom part of her face. So really, they knew that this baby was not going to survive very long. They just didn't know how long. Of course, there's a plot to, to, to kill this baby, and that entailed overdosing the child with hycamine. And I don't know if I'm even saying that right. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's, but, that's, that's not one I was familiar with at all. So you, you know what? It's I wonder if now. maybe it's something, it's probably something that they used to use and that they're not using anymore. Cause I know, I don't know, maybe some of the ingredients are kind of weird because <laughs> I did Google it and well, it has hydrocodone for one thing. So cough syrup, you know, I mean, it's hydrocodone is a, is a cough medicine. I, there are still people that prescribe that for really bad coughs. It's, not unheard of. It's, it's kind of weird, but it's not unheard of, but it is less and less. But there are there are significant, you know, cases of bronchitis and stuff that, yeah, you, you might end up with uh, a medication like that. So, yeah, but I mean, pretty so, rare. But it didn't have just hydrocodone. It had Tylenol in it. It had caffeine, phenylephrine. So it was basically like a cold medicine and hydrocodone put together. That's what it was. But I mean, I'm sure it was effective in treating coughs, I mean, obviously not in this case where they're using it to try to you know, overdose a child, but I mean, the, the, the opiate aspect would kind of shut off that cough switch in the brain. So, I mean, that aspect I do understand. She allegedly discussed this plan with two other nurses by the name of Judy Felsenstein and Etiole Means, who she also went by Edie. I think they, they pretty much called her Edie. So they had this discussion and they claimed the child's grandfather, Dr. Jerome Rich, had approved of this plan. Now, that was never that nothing ever came of that. And he was never charged. And there was never any proof of this. So I just want to be really, really clear that that, that was. I just feel like this may be the worst episode of the Golden Girls of all time. Because the way oh you're writing gosh. this, yeah, like there's these three grandmothers sitting like around mm-hmm. with the baby's grandfather. I'm like, good Lord, what is going on? Because when you say grandparents, it is entirely impossible for me to try and fathom that they are sitting around with the plotting the murder of a baby. So I guess in my head, I keep imagining like the Golden Girls because there's no way that they could possibly do something bad. And yet here we are telling the story. Yeah. Well, Dr. Rich, he had been a doctor with privileges at the hospital where the baby was born and also ran the facility where the baby was kept, the, the, the facility that, that helped, you know, that took care of critically ill children. Care, Care Plus is what it was called. He ran that whole facility and Jean Arias was the d- nursing director in charge of hiring the nurses at that facility. So, Several nurses, including Jean Arias, administer, would administer pain medicine periodically to ease this, the baby. And her name was Ariel, by the way. The baby's suffering. Jean Arias said it was understood when the baby was born that she would only live two weeks to a month. So that, that, is, that was what Jean Arias said in, a, in an interview. So Arias contacted a nurse that Judy Felsenstein and told her that she needed someone to work Easter weekend. So Jean Arias said it was understood when the baby was born that she would only live two weeks to a month. So she is in charge of hiring nurses, to, of course, to care for this baby. And she contacted a nurse, that nurse, Judy Felsenstein, that we talked about earlier, told her that she needed someone to work Easter weekend. This is how these three nurses kind of got together. Felsenstein recommended that she call this 
this Edie Means, this other nurse. So Means and Felsenstein had both worked with Arius in the past, so she was familiar with them. So Arius had replaced Means at a previous place of employment, and this is going to be significant later on, because Jean Arius felt like this may have been one of the reasons that Edie Means would be vindictive toward her, you know, and, and maybe have some sort of um, a, a reason, a to, motive to maybe yeah. have something out against her that would be useful later on in the story. Yeah, I see where yeah. you're going with this. So these three women met at a restaurant, discussed this plan. Arius told Means and Felsenstein that the child's grandfather was aware and approved of it. Means testified that after she applied for the temporary nursing position, Arius gave Means a bottle of medication, the hycomine. And as I said earlier, it's basically hydrocodone and cold medicine. The medicine was to be administered to the child, and a very small amount of the medication, had it been given, would have been fatal. So after receiving this medication, Edie Means started worrying about it. She starts kind of thinking the whole thing through, reconsidering. Reconsidering killing a child. Yeah. 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 So she called the police to tell them what was going on. And, you know, I, I hear all the time that the best way to keep a secret between the only way to keep a secret between two people is if one of them is dead. Because the thing is, if you think you're going to, like, do some plot to do anything illegal with somebody else, just forget it. You It will come out. People get guilty. People, just, they want to tell the truth. It's like they just have to tell somebody. So yeah, Tina tells this story every week. <laughs> like, every week she does a story because someone spoke. Like, that's why she has mm-hmm. a podcast. So if you're listening to the story, Always. someone spoke. That's what happened. Yep. Pretty much. People just can't keep the mouth shut at all. So Edie Means was at first reluctant to say who was involved in the plot, but she later told the police everything because she said that they threatened to prosecute her. She allowed the police to record phone conversations that she had with Jean Arias regarding the care of the baby. So in one of the recordings, a voice that is said to be Jean Arias can be heard saying, I really thought about going in and adding something to one of the bottles, but that's so risky because if they surmise anything and they start looking into something. So this is the little clip that they played on the Inside Edition little segment that I saw on YouTube. And when you hear her, and I mean, I heard her voice in the interview and I heard her voice as she was testifying. And so it was, I mean, it sounded like same voice to me. Sound like the exact same person. So when you hear her say that, I thought about going in and adding something to one of the bottles, but that's risky. I mean, so I didn't see. Did she actually say in court that wasn't her? No, and that, the thing is, what's weird is that she. I never saw where she said that was not me. I didn't say that, but she did say I never intended to kill the baby. So I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of. I don't know what she was. Yeah, saying. that that does make it seem pretty conflicting. I think it was kind of maybe hoping for jury nullification. I think that they, it was like, I'm not guilty and I'm going to tell a story and then hope that the jury goes, you know, I can kind of see where she's watching this baby be tortured. So even though we do think she did it, obviously she did it. Yeah. And that's why I was getting at is I didn't see where she had ever said that it wasn't her on the tape. So I was like, well, how does she plan on defending it then? If you are yeah. on tape planning it. And the thing so. is, right. And she's charged with attempted first degree murder. So I think that's probably has a, that has a lot to do with it. Like, was that attempted first degree murder? Just like having a conversation like that. I mean, it shows premeditation. Yeah. And, and I, so I, I have, yes, by the letter of the law, that is exactly the premeditation. And depending on which state you're on first or capital murder, I would not see because, you know, obviously it wasn't in self-defense, you know, it wasn't in the heat of the moment. She was of sound mind. She was alert and oriented. She understood the consequences and she planned the action. I mean, that is literally like <laughs> the bullet points if you look up your law books on on those those types of cases. However, I th- I think there is something to be said for compassion and don't take that wrong as I'm saying it's compassion to kill the baby in this case. I don't mean that. 
but I, I, I don't know. If I was a prosecutor, I would probably have trouble going with first degree on this, honestly. I would probably have been more in the second degree because she understood the consequences of her action. And while it was premeditated, it wasn't in a malicious intent or reckless nature or something like that. And so that's that's the way I probably would have looked at it based on what we've seen today or what we've talked about and read about it. But it's so hard. Because you are right, they're talking about killing a, an innocent baby. It's yeah, it's hard to it's hard exactly. to not want to put them in the chair, but then at the same time, she wasn't doing it. To, she, yeah, the, she wasn't doing it because yeah. she hated the baby. She was doing it because she felt the baby was suffering. But, so, and I I almost wonder. Yeah, but <laughs> that's a big I, but. What raises my concern or indexes suspicion as far as first degree, second degree, whatever the case may be. I think saying, oh, well, the child's grandfather has approved of this, who is a doctor, they're nurses, so I think it's that, well, the doctor said it was okay, even though all through nursing you've been told that, you know, unlawful orders are still unlawful orders and you don't have to necessarily follow those. But the other thing then, if... It was a compassionate thing, which I understand your point. Why couldn't she do it herself? No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I did say I this know. was a great theory, Ben. I said that's why I think in my case I might have problems. But you're pointing out the reasons why it wasn't <laughs> second degree, and I agree with them all. I think this is a really terrible situation. I would wonder, had she ever, had they ever dug into this? Has she ever had any problems before? Like, had any, so she was a nurse, wasn't she? Yeah. So, had any she of had her been patients. She for 20 yeah, years. Yeah. So, how many patients in yeah, her they, care? Apparently, they did a lot of digging and she had an exemplary, yeah, career and was very, it was highly respected. And I don't think anyone really thought she was malicious in this. They think that they really saw it as an act of, of compassion or, or like a mercy killing. And I wonder almost, were there some conversations kind of maybe behind closed doors in private with the grandfather of like what compassionate, whether or not it would be compassionate to, like were the, was there a conversation that she took the wrong way that she took to mean oh he would prefer that someone do this you do do you know what yeah, I mean yeah I could see her like you know if he if he ever said anything well any other baby with injuries like this you know wouldn't be able to live or we wouldn't you know we would compassionate you know for it and so in her head that meant oh that means that's what he really wants. Not, you know, he's excluding himself in his professional judgment from being a grandfather at that point. I think I could see someone misconstruing that, or at least in her case. And I, I wouldn't be slightly ageist for a second. How do we have any ages on the two other people involved, the Feldenstein and Means? Because I'm I assuming they were this, around I, the same age as Arius. And that kind of plays. Yeah, which she would. I would think. I think she was like maybe around in her fifties. So I think. Th what I was getting at though is what Ben was saying is, or maybe it was you. The, the old school. Hey, they grew up as nurses in the system that when a doctor said, "This is what we're going to do. This is what we did." So by her trying to lead the reins by saying, "Well, he's the grandfather and a doctor, and he said we should do this," I could absolutely see that being a, manip a manipulation attempt. But then again. And I think the way that you defend... If she's not killing the baby. I think the way you defend the uh, recording is you say, well, it was an intrusive thought. You see this child suffering. And so you say, well, you know, I really thought about adding something to the bottle to take care of that child. And then I think you play that to the jury and say, who hasn't had intrusive thoughts before? Yeah. But that's not what she I'm, did. I'm just saying that. <laughs> so she, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I see. I can see where if you, you know you're going to have to try wow. some way to get around that recording. If something ever happens to me, apparently Ben has put a lot of thought into what to do if he's ben caught on a recording. Probably has a lot of. I'd say he has a lot of intrusive thoughts yeah, about so you. So I'm just, Tom. I'm just saying. I, I almost called you Ben yeah. because you put 
There's, there's, I'm just saying there's a lot of recordings and evidence of Ben and I talking for the entire world to hear. And I'm starting to get the impression that not all of them were as carefree and happy as I thought. So I'm just. Ben, you better hope nothing bad happens to Tom. It's not going to look good. I'm not sure either one of you. There's too much joking that goes on between the two of you. The the police could, are going to, they could literally take clips of these conversations. Did you really say this? And you're like, I was kidding. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the problem. It's. Sometimes you have to step back and think about that. Like, boy, if you took... You really hated him, didn't you? You were going to name a star, a star after him and a, the football team that he hates the most. Yeah, you were going to ruin his life for eternity. I was like, yeah, that was kind of the joke, but it seems bad when you say it like that. Like, like, I mean, that's what I would have said to the cops had they said that to me. I mean, but, I, but going back to the story, I, I just, I feel, I feel bad because... You're right. She probably was sitting around watching this child suffer. But I guess ultimately, I believe at the end of the day, it's not her job to be a vigilante. Like, we we, we do not trust people. This is a nation of laws. And within that, unless the jury feels that she was a good person, and that is their right. I mean, that is that can be an instruction from the judge or – and depending on which state, some states the juries can make recommendations or they're asked for recommendations. And in some states, that is not their job at all. So I guess it kind of depends on her state. But I would say depending on who is ultimately defi- deciding her fate, the jury or the judge in this case, they can show some leniency if they really believe that. So otherwise, you don't get to make the decision to kill babies. Like, I guess that's the end no, of the story. And no one should be allowed yeah. to do this. You can't, yeah. you, I mean, even people, there are people who believe in- Like assisted suicide? Assisted suicide. I was trying to think of the, the what the term is now, but they change that stuff. Euthanasia, my brain was just, there are people that believe that is humane and should be allowed for someone to make that decision for themselves, not for someone else. There's no universe in which it would ever be okay for someone to make this decision for someone else in someone else's child for a hundred percent for sure. I I question whether it should ever be okay for someone to make the decision for someone else. Maybe unless they they said if they became mentally you know unable to make decisions for themselves and something like that. But no, and there is no way no way you could ever convince me that it should be okay for for a nurse, any kind of healthcare professional or anyone to make the choice, to make the decision to take someone's life because they felt sorry for them or, or, you know, out of a mercy killing. You cannot give someone that kind of power. No. Absolutely not. And to be clear, I think there's a huge difference between someone saying like they have a patient that's, you know, brain dead, you know, is only alive on a ventilator. That is a very different situation than a completely physically healthy breathing child without assistance like that's those are two different things so i would defend if somebody said hey you know they want to be a dnr dni or the family has decided they've been in a coma for a month you know they've been shown to be brain dead those are two different situations and i don't want anybody to misconstrue them well the way things are nowadays i just was like yeah I know how Miss Tina likes to get her base all riled up sometimes. Well, so, and if the grandfather you know, just was really watching had out there, significant concerns about this child. Yeah, why wasn't he addressing? And, him? and the parents, why wasn't the child on hospice? If they, if the per statements she made, she, when the baby was born, they were only anticipating her living two weeks to a month. That that in and of itself is hospice criteria. They did have they did have a do not resuscitate order. There was a no heroic means are to be attempted should you know the the baby's you know health start to decline. So I wonder if that's why she was picking the opiate based medication to try and just depress the breathing, and so nobody would attempt CPR or or an intubation. So I mean that would I mean as yeah. a nurse she would know that she would know what mm-hmm. medication is going to yeah. suppress that. We all know that when we're taking any medication or supplement, dosage matters, and it's important to take enough to get the desired result. For example, only taking a 10 milligram Tylenol might not help with your headache. Well, the same is true for CBD. If you try a low-dose CBD product, you may not feel anything. 
but it's not the CBD's fault. The dosage is the problem. This is why CBD Stat only makes high-dose CBD products that actually work, and now their products are getting even stronger. CBD Stat is happy to announce that they're launching a new extra-strength version of its highly popular topical products that have 7,500 milligrams of CBD. This new strength will by far maintain CBD Stat's status as the most powerful CBD product line on the market. More CBD means it's more effective in helping everyone tackle daily aches and pains. CBD Stat sent me a box of these new products and I already knew it was going to work because I've been using it for my neck pain and foot pain, but I can definitely tell the difference in this new strength and I'm really excited to get to tell you guys about it. And on top of these new higher strength products, they're also dropping prices across the board on all their products to make CBD Stat not only the most effective on the market, but also the most affordable. And don't forget, all you healthcare workers out there get a special additional discount to help keep you strong. Just head to cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare and find your new secret weapon. That's cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare. So during this trial, there were several contentious issues that kind of arose. The state prevented Gene Arias from introducing information about Edie Means' alleged alcoholism and homosexuality to challenge her credibility, arguing that this was not relevant to the case. So when I first read this, I thought, is this so far back in the day that they literally are going to use homosexuality and someone as a a means to challenge their credibility? That is not what they were were talking about at all, though. Gene Arias claimed that... Not not in this. Oh, not, not that it wouldn't be tried. Yeah, I'm not so. saying that. But in this particular, I, I was about to be like appalled. But that's. <laughs> that, no, when I first read it, I felt I the same already, way. Yeah, when I first read it, I was like, what was the like, hell? Excuse but, yeah. me. Punch on Neanderthals. <laughs> but no, that's not not at all what they were talking about. Um, Jean Arias claimed that Edie Means might have been biased against her due to a rebuffed homosexual advance that she had made toward her. Um the court excluded any mention of Edie Means' sexual orientation and her relationship with Felsenstein. So apparently there was a past relationship with Felsenstein, which ended up being significant because the original, the, the, the prosecutors originally said that there was no relationship, like there was no connection between these nurses, like they, you know, there, there, there was no reason basically for Felsenstein and, and, and Edie means to be connected and they had a past relationship. And so they wanted to bring that to light in the, in the court, in this trial. And they, the trial judge said, no, did not allow that to come in. Arias also objected to statements from the, from police officers about their conversations with means arguing that the state was bolstering Means' credibility with prior consistent statements. Additionally, Arias requested to call Dr. Donald Poster as a witness who claimed that Means had confided in him about being forced to testify. So this was interesting because the whole prior consistent statements thing, it was kind of a a weird sort of technicality. It was basically, it's like Edie Means said, this is the truth. And then they wanted this police officer to say, that Edie Means told me that this was the truth. There, It's not like he's saying, I saw it. I'm a witness. This is the truth. He's saying, yes, she did tell me that this was the truth. And it was a way for them to bolster her credibility because it's prior consistent statements. Jean Arias also objected to statements from the police officers about their conversations with her. And that was basically the trial judge was like, nope letting it in. So every, pretty much all these objections that they're making, the trial judge is like, nope, overruled. This issue with Dr. Donald Poster, Edie Means had gone to him and he was just like a regular doctor, wasn't us like a psychiatrist or he was not seeing her under psychiatric terms. He was just all medical stuff. So that whole issue with Dr. Donald Poster, she actually saw him, Edie Means, the, this is the nurse that went forward, you know, just said, you know, we were, I was talking about, you know, do, going along with this plot, but now it's bothering me. I feel like I need to tell someone. She went to her doctor, medical doctor, not psychiatrist, not seeing him for any sort of psychological problems, but he did refill her Ativan that was prescribed by her mental health professional. Okay. So the the objection from Jean Arias's team is that they should be able to allow Dr. Poster to say what she said to him during this visit. Because what she said, 
was basically that the prosecution was forcing her to testify and forcing her to say what she was going to say because they pretty much said they were going they were going to prosecute her. Which makes sense because didn't. without her they have no and case so, against Arias. Yeah. I mean that is their only witness to the alleged events. Right. So the judge, the trial judge did not let that information in. Interestingly enough. So I got to be honest, the, he, he made some questionable decisions on what mm-hmm. he let in or not. Yeah, they he ruled, ruled that this conversation was privileged and that had to do with because of it dealing with mental health issues, I guess, that there was this doctor patient, you know, confidentiality, confidentiality and that the they would not allow the doc, the judge would not allow this doctor to to say what she said to him. So the state's opening statement, which claimed that the child was still, quote, alive to smile on her first birthday. So by them saying that, alive to smile on her first birthday, what are they insinuating? They're insinuating that she would be able to smile on her first birthday. Yes. I would say that she would, that they were trying to influence it and they're trying to project a picture of a happy, healthy child. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't even move the bottom part move of her, her face. Bottom half of her face. Yeah. So very deceitful dishonest, manipulative, misleading in all sorts of ways. And so they, Jean uh, Arias's team objected to this, but the court allowed it. So after Arias, Jean Arias testified on her behalf on her, you know, for her, which a lot of people don't, you know, they don't want to get up there and talk because you kind of open yourself up to the cross-examination from the prosecution. And and there are certain types of evidence that can now be introduced that couldn't before. So that's a big one. So after she testified, she requested to have character wit- character witnesses to testify for her. That was denied, despite a vigorous cross-examination that Arias claimed had attacked her credibility. So as you would expect, the, the prosecution really came after her on cross-examination, and she wanted an opportunity to have someone come up and, and speak for her to counter the insinuations. And you, you know, know in all the stories that you do, you... You want there to be fair and impartiality when it comes to the judge, but at least based in the information and and reading through the appeal court's opinion, which I know you're going to talk about shortly, certainly appears that there was some bias in this case from the judge. Like when you were talking about the ruling that the doctor couldn't give his information usually that's something they do to protect them to prevent them being compelled against giving information not suppressing it so that's a very weird way for him to apply the protection rule for that privileged conversation was to suppress it not to keep it from being forced out i just it's a really odd way to conduct a trial because you're what ben said is what Everybody in law enforcement is also going for, you want this to be as neutral as possible. You want anybody to be able to come in, at least, you know, that's what our goal always was when I was in law enforcement was we want this to be neutral. We want this to be just the facts and then let the judge and jury decide. But when the judge and jury, or in this case, the judge are stacking the deck, you can see the writing on the wall that this is going to be a bad outcome. At least on the appeal process. Like, I could have told you during the process that this was going to end up in appeals. The appeals court just kind of agreed with everything, and which is unusual. I Most of the stories that I do whenever, if, if it's kind of, if there's been a few years, you can always find these appeals because they're almost automatic that they that they do these appeals. But almost every single time, they're 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 just like nope, nope, denied, denied, denied. You know, they're just they don't reverse anything. It's very rare. But in this case, the the appeals court was just like, dude, <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> I mean, they they so Arius appealed on the grounds that state's evidence did not support the charge of attempted first degree murder, and that her motion for acquittal should have been granted. The appeals court agreed, arguing that Arias's actions were merely preparatory and that they weren't overt acts that were anywhere near the crime's completion. So consequently, the conviction for attempted first degree murder was reversed. Which, So basically what they're saying, I mean, the appeals court is going, she 
did not, all she did was hand her this bottle. This was not in any way, you did, she didn't get anywhere near actually attempting to kill, right? Like if she had administered it, and then somehow they found out about it, and they were able to reverse it or do do something to save the baby, the, the baby's life. That's attempted. That's literally you are attempting. But this is just kind of going through the motions of preparing to possibly do no, it. I can but, see conspiracy. Right? I mean, it's for... Yeah, I was to say, but... Absolutely. However, and, and this is one of those areas where you would want to probably talk to a lawyer. I think conspiracy only applies if the act is completed. It's like, I'm not 100% sure. I think that's one of those charges, like racketeering. You can't apply racketeering to a charge that doesn't exist. Like, that's... Racketeering or in this... Conspiracy is like a modifier. So you can't have conspiracy to commit murder if there's no murder or, or the attempted murder. I don't know murder. that that's true. It, it may depend on the state because I know I've done stories where people have conspired to kill their spouse or, or to kill somebody that they have a grudge against. And they were convicted of conspiracy um, and sp- you know spent some time in prison because I of I think it. in those cases, and maybe right, but what I'm saying is, is they this case, the appellate court said, there was no attempted murder. So you can't get somebody on a conspiracy to attempt murder because they took an overt act. In this case, Arias just talked about it. So how can you conspire to commit a murder that's not actually in motion? And I, I'm not saying I 100% agree with that, but I would say regardless of whether I agree or I like it, I understand. And within the letter of the law, those judges are clearly correct. So, I mean... It does make you question things, though, is as a nurse, how much of that should she be allowed to talk about ethically, you know, and still be like as a nurse practitioner, I can't imagine discussing like, oh, well, if you just go gave this much medicine to your child and they died, boy, that would be the outcome. And then not expect to have some kind of blowback. Like, I couldn't imagine having that conversation. That child ended up dead. And then. Some law enforcement agency not showing up at my door to have a conversation about why I gave that information. So as a nurse, how did she expect to have that conversation knowing what the outcomes of those types of medications were? Regardless of whether she tried it, she still had the conversation. So I don't know. I mean, isn't that still wrong? Like, I still feel bad. Like, it's not a clean story. Like, there's no simple outcome. No, there definitely isn't. You know, we we I brought up all these different issues with this trial and and that times where Arius's team attempted to have things thrown out or objected and the judge just overruled. So the appeals court reversed the conviction for solicitation to commit murder and called for a new trial. It ruled that the trial court had improperly ex- excluded Dr. Poster's testimony and that um means denial of her conversation with Dr. Poster would have allowed Arias to impeach her credibility. So she essentially said she didn't say it because she denied that the, that the state was forcing her to what she was, what she said in her statement is that the state was not forcing her to testify, that she did not feel coerced. She did not feel like she yes, and had this to. Counteracted she was that. It completely. Yeah. So they said that that would, impeach her credibility. The appeals court also agreed with Arias that she should have been allowed to cross-examine means about their past relationship to establish possible bias. So that they should have been able to talk about the fact that she was homosexual, that she had made advances to her, that she had rebuffed those advances, and that she felt like that created some sort of friction. What I don't understand is, is if that's the case, why would she have then approached her about not only coming to work for her as a nurse, but actually committing a murder, conspiring to yeah. commit murder? It doesn't even make sense. Yeah, again, but I would say that goes back to the judge still should have allowed it and still let the jury decide if that was part of what was going on. Because like I said before, when you're in the prosecution or the law enforcement side, you want this, you do not want to make any problems for your own case. Every case you provide, I don't care how airtight it is. You get nervous because there's always the chance. Somebody lets the bad guy go. If well, you that's mess exactly up. How the prosecution and so is. that's what I'm saying is that's a, 
that's a big thing for prosecutors and law enforcement is that's why you don't want to make any mistakes is you do not want to be the reason the bad guy walks. So I can't imagine that the prosecutor was very happy watching the judge just tank this case over and over again. I'm sure he was happy at the moment. Like, yeah, I'm glad he didn't sustain that. But at the same time, oh, boy. You didn't allow well, evidence. Because it does not yeah. look good for his. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't look good for him, for his reputation as a prosecutor to have all of these, you know, th- these things. I, I mean, I would think, you know, anytime you have something, you know, reverse, I don't know. It seems like it would. Well, I don't know. Maybe they look at it like, well, you tried. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you gave it a college effort. Way to go. <laughs> So the appeals court found no issue with the trial court excluding character witnesses for Arias. It also agreed that the prosecutor's statement about the child's first birthday was improper, but the trial court had correctly limited future comments to the child's life status. So the trial court basically said, well, we'll allow you to say it, but they limited any future comments about it. I, I still feel like that that's kind of very misleading, very oh, misleading yeah. to, to, say, to say that. Yeah, the child was happy and smiling. Yeah. No, don't do that. Yeah. It also agreed that the prosecutor's mentioning of the grandfather's... Oh, so there. I forgot to mention this earlier. So the grandfather's attorney, you know, the doctor, the grandfather that, that was the director of this facility, um, his attorney was present during throughout the trial. And there were a few times when the prosecutor would mention... During the trial, the fact that the grandfather's attorney was in the trial. I mean, I thought that was weird. Like, they, they weren't there part of the trial. They were, like, in the, what do they, the, what do they call it, the gallery or something? They're, they're just back there watching the show, you know? I mean, they're just, so I don't understand that, why they would even try to say something like that. But the, they agreed that the prosecutor's mentioning was wrong, that because it insinuated there was some sort of co-conspiracy there. And they shouldn't have done that. So in conclusion, the appeals court reversed both convictions and ordered a new trial for the solicitation charge, arguing that significant evidentiary errors had been made during the initial trial. So as far as I can tell, there hasn't been a retrial for this case. And since the defendant would pretty much be in her 90s now, it doesn't appear that there ever will be. So this is pretty much, I guess, as far as we're going to get. This you know, before I complained because you always brought us on and then had some kind of horrific, like, guy rips out eyeballs and eats them like olives type, you know, murder case. But it's a lot easier to handle because it's clear cut. You know, he eats people's eyeballs. He's a bad dude. No, no, you give us a case of a child murdering grandmother who maybe didn't child murder. Like, oh, thanks. That's a great. And now I... I'm going to be questioning whether it's okay to have intrusive thoughts because now Ben's going to try and murder me the next time we do a podcast. So all the way around, next time, have me on for the axe murderer again is what I guess I'm getting (laughs) at. The simple, old, bloody, gruesome murders. That's what we need. That's that's our bread and butter. Good old fashioned. Good old fashioned axe murdering. That's that's what we like around. We'll continue to monitor. (laughs) Who did it? We don't know, but there was an axe. That's what we know. So there's always, there's an, always axe. an axe. If it's before 1940, <laughs> and a Home Depot. Yeah, if it's before 1940, there's almost certainly a train or an axe involved in this murder. So my stories always have a Home Depot and a Walmart. That's just <laughs> somebody's somebody's always got to be caught in video at the Walmart. Somebody always goes to the Walmart. And then you know what they did? I'm like, went to Walmart and every time. Yeah. They're at Walmart buying duct tape. <laughs> So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it and she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing 
Um, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get $50 off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get $50 off your order. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. If you're like me and you don't want ads interrupting your podcast flow, you can access our episodes ad-free just by becoming a patron. You can also have access to bonus material like episodes being released early, the video footage of me and my guests recording the episode, and a brand new podcast that's offered exclusively to our Patreon subscribers called Breakroom Conversations. Your support will really help us to keep the podcast running smoothly. To learn more, just head on over to our website, goodnursebadnurse.com, and click the link to become a patron. Well, I guess we can get into our Goodner story. I'm excited about this. Ben is going to take the lead here and tell us this cool story. I can't wait to hear it. Are you going to tell him it's a it's a good nurse, bad nurse first? This is a oh my gosh, I forgot. Good nurse alumni. Tell, tell him, Tom. This is a good nurse alumni. That is right. Ben is a good nurse recipient on this very show in a previous episode. It's not really that important. He's not that great of a nurse. I okay. So don't, don't go look for it. But the point is, is he got it because she was bored and didn't have anything else to talk about that day. But now he's going to tell the story of a good nurse himself. So that means a good nurse is telling the story of a good nurse on good nurse, bad nurse. So I think yeah, there's got to be some kind of special, maybe a drum roll you guys can edit in here. I don't know. I or feel not. Like I need to make a, like a metal. Oh, a there? metal. Like, <laughs> yeah. The good nurse, good nurse story on Good Nurse. Like, yeah. And I, I you, you need an award. I think that would be pretty awesome. You could... Yeah. Or maybe I should just name a star after Oh, you. there you go. There All you right, go. So this is kind of in my uh, neck of the woods, kind of uh, hometown type stuff. And I thought it was a very cool story, and so I was telling Tina about it, and so we're going to talk about it. So back in the beginning of this month, a four-year-old child um, was pulled from the water at the Parsons, Kansas Municipal Swimming Pool after she slid into the water and could not swim. A nurse and a CPR-trained patron performed chest compressions on the child who was not breathing uh, when she came out of the water until EMS arrived. So the... Uh, nurse is Kelsey Christman, and Rita Perez was the uh, CPR-trained patron. They're the ones who perform CPR. Christman is a registered nurse. She teaches health careers at Lebec County High School. Perez is CPR certified and works at the Parsons State Hospital and Training Center and lifeguards at the pool there. Said that the child was found in about three and a half feet of water near, there's a slide at the pool apparently. She had exited the slide, remained underwater until she was rescued. She was not able to swim, was not swimming, or was not able was not able to swim and was not breathing. Um, the pool manager was quoted as saying, "A tremendous effort was given today by our staff, members of the public, and responding officers. It was a perfect dynamic of people being in the right place today, and I couldn't be more proud of them." The child was transferred to a hospital in Wichita so she could be monitored overnight. And at last report was eating breakfast the next morning and was expected to be released soon. So pretty odd. I mean, you just never know when those nursing skills are going to be needed. So, you know, I know that being a CPR instructor myself, you know, one of the, the you know the last four or five years, they've transitioned to even hands-only CPR because there's so much fear about putting your mouth on somebody else's mouth that you don't know. So, I mean, even hands-only CPR would be better than nothing. So, if you don't know CPR and you're not in healthcare and you're listening to the show, go get some sort of CPR certification. But shout out to to Kelsey Crispin and Rita Perez. Awesome job saving a four-year-old child. That's amazing. I love that story. I love stories like that. I mean, it, the thing is that I have had 
I had a, a really close friend, close friends of our family who lost a child many, many years ago. I mean, like I'm talking like, man, it's probably been like 15 years ago or so, two-year-old. They were on vacation and it was devastating. It was just horrible, horrible. It's just unimaginable. I know how quickly, you know, those things can just, it can turn into this, your worst nightmare. And every second counts as far as keeping the circulation going, keeping the oxygen flowing, the blood flowing with the oxygen getting to your brain in order to not have an anoxic brain injury in these situations where a child could end up, if, if they do live, end up, you know, not being the way that they were before. So oh, thank you for telling the story. It is just, I love hearing these stories. It's so nice to hear stories like this about someone who was able to be there and make a difference because this person made a huge difference in these people's lives. And whether or not anybody recognizes or realizes it, the difference between what your what this person did and the, the what could have happened, it's just... I mean, you don't even want to really think about it, but that's the thing. That's the thing. And and that what makes a difference is that this is a trained nurse that knows CPR, but anyone, that's the whole, there's a reason CPR was, was, was created, was the idea that anyone, even if you don't know anything about healthcare, can do compressions, right? Can do compressions and, and, and give breaths too. I think now what you're saying is like, they're saying like, if... Even if you're not willing to, or don't feel like you, you know, can put your mouth on someone else's mouth, just keep that heart pumping. You know, Tom, that may be a good story for we'll yeah. continue to monitor to talk about like the history of CPR and the history of the Annie doll. <gasps> Look at Tina. Just yes. is the never-ending well for, for, for Will that, continue yeah. to inspiration. What do you know? Do you oh, know? and we could talk about Michael Jackson and whether the Annie. Are you okay? <laughs> Sim- what? Smooth criminal. What? Oh, you don't know this whole story. Oh, let's do it. Let's do the Michael Jackson smooth criminal what, conspiracy theory. To, to your listeners, oh, if they it. want to hear that story, I'm looking to you want to reach out to Tina and let her know, and we'll uh, yeah. we'll do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's on. It's on you now, <laughs> Tina. There it's you on go. your listeners. Oh, on your me. listeners okay. right now. Don't <laughs> fail me. Don't fail me. <laughs> right Act now. now. <laughs> oh my god! Right now. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So you guys um, remind everybody, Ben, where they can find will continue to monitor. So our website is justsomepodcast.com. That is Just Some Podcast Media. So we have four podcasts under that that umbrella. So we have Just Some Podcast for Advanced Practitioners. That's kind of our medical podcast. We have will continue to monitor. And that's our kind of creepy podcast um, we have buried pleasures and then we have nurse papa which i know you've had david on before in the past as well so but we're all over social media with any of those so reach out to us if you want to and of course you know you can find me at goodnursebadnurse.com and you can reach out to me and send me an email at tina at goodnursebadnurse i love to hear from you guys we're on social media and guess what goodness <laughs> what else what else would it be and of course, I uh, always have to remind you before we go, even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. <laughs>